I can just about see the screen. Very good morning. Can we have the first slide, please? That'll be better than looking at me on the screen. Okay, um, you may not be aware, but until very recently, I've been the person that's been working out the service rotors, and I really had hoped that this morning, David Lee would be preaching. I know you all enjoy David's preaching, um, but David informed me that he wouldn't be able to because he and Janet are completing the West Midlands Fun Run as we speak. So I'm filling in the gap. Um, but the good news, um, David and Janet are running, I think they've kept this fairly quiet, but they're running to raise money to support the church in Sudan, a place where life is very, very hard to be a Christian where pastors are often not paid at all, and they face many, many difficulties. So the good news is you can go online and sponsor David and Janet. Um, and I hope that as we speak, they are pressing on towards the goal, which is to win that race. Well, not win it, but achieve the... <laughs> well, maybe they will, uh, but certainly get to the end of that race and be able to raise the money that they long to be able to send uh, to people that they have contact with out in Sudan. So, moving on then to our sermon. We might have some clicking issues here, Mark. If you see me trying to do that, brilliant, thank you. And my apologies if this sermon does seem a little bit rough around the edges. As Jen said, John and I are going to be moving soon up to Derbyshire. Uh, I think most of you know that by now. And it's because it's something we've been praying about for a long time, really. And we do see it very much as a door that God has opened for us as the next step in our Christian journey. And we finally heard this week uh, that it's all coming together. And on the 11th of June, which is, I think, eight days' time, uh, we should be moving out of our home of 30 years. Um, as you can imagine, um, there's quite a lot of stuff that we've accumulated in our home over 30 years. Um, and my sermon preparation this week has been woven in around lots and lots of phone calls and emails quite a bit of stress and much sorting of the stuff. And I think uh, yesterday I must have packed something like 40 cases of books up. Um, but alongside all of that, I have been pondering about this letter to the Philippians and, and about the person who wrote it, Paul, and how relevant this passage is to me and I guess to many of us right now. And as we've, we've journeyed through this book, haven't we, over the last uh, few weeks, and I have sort of looked at it through a slightly different lens, and I've thought of Paul, the writer, quite a lot. And um, I found a great book that uh, Margaret Trimmer gave me a couple of weeks ago that was one of Brian's books about the Apostle Paul. Um, and it, it's made me really think about Paul, uh, not just as the, the great apostle, but also the man, a man who was human. He wasn't yet perfect, and he had... His own temptations and vulnerabilities, I'm sure, just like you and me. He talks somewhere about having a thorn in the flesh, and we don't quite know what that meant. Um, we can speculate, but we know that there was, there was always something that perhaps nagged away at, at Paul and that he had to find the grace of God in. It's a really short passage we've got this morning, and I've just picked out three key phrases. Uh, go with the next one, Mark. Thank you. 
That one at the very beginning, I want to know Christ. That's what it's all about, isn't it? And this is Paul saying this. This is Paul who had journeyed all over the known world into Asia Minor, bringing the gospel to so many new places. This was Paul, the apostle, who had written all these great letters to the churches and who had conveyed the heart and mind of Christ to the first Christians and, of course, to us as well. And he himself is saying, I want to know Christ. I want to know him more. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. And so if, if Paul had that longing, so surely must we have that longing to know Christ more. Because if we don't, all that we do all our gathering together, it's a bit of an empty shell, isn't it? It's a bit like a loveless marriage if we don't really love him and long to know him more and more. Then the, the second uh, passage is that bit about that in the passage is about forgetting what is behind. We'll pick that up in a few minutes. And thirdly, Paul says this twice in such a short space of time, I press on. Many of us have probably got great stories about the time we first came to faith, first time we were filled with the Spirit. But we have to press on, or we just stay stuck in the same place. But before we go very much further, thank you, I want to ask you a question. Life and human experience is full of lots of uncertainties, is it not? whether it's about moving house, changing job, perhaps the future of a relationship, having a child, facing an illness. Oh, thank you. Try that one. Thanks, Mark. Um, suffering loss, getting older. There are times and seasons in life when nothing seems really very certain, when we're not master of our own destiny. And whether we like it or not, other people are making decisions and taking actions for us, things that can affect us profoundly. And bearing that in mind, I would like you to just think yourself for a moment. What are your coping mechanisms? How do you manage yourself and life when you don't know how things will turn out, when things are uncertain and maybe giving you anxiety? Okay, uh, just for a minute or two, speak to the person next to you. Don't overthink it. How do you cope when life is throwing uncertainty at you? Go. Jane, you have to talk to John. Make sure you let the second person speak as well. <laughs>
Jen and John are still talking. Surprise! <laughs> I'm not going to ask for answers on a postcard. I wonder how many of us said we really welcome those times of uncertainty because they help us to know Jesus better. Anybody? <laughs> but, you know, actually, it's the difficult times, the uncertain times, rather than the times when everything is going swimmingly rather well, that we prove God's faithfulness. We believe Paul wrote this letter whilst under arrest in Rome. And whilst it's thought that he spent much of his time in a rented house rather than just a barren prison cell, he was still bound with chains. He was still a prisoner. All freedom of movement was denied him. His future was very uncertain. He was no longer the master of his own destiny. He could no longer determine how and where to exercise his ministry or who to minister alongside, where to go, who to see. The only way he could minister in Jesus' name was through writing these wonderful letters, our heritage now, and speaking with those who came to visit him. He describes himself elsewhere as a prisoner of the Lord. But naturally speaking, his future lay in the hands and the decisions of other people. The decision, quite a big decision, would he eventually be released or would he face execution? And I'm guessing that some of the nights were long. And I'm guessing that in the silent watches of those long nights, he would have in his head played over both those possibilities and would have to have come back to that place of trusting that God was over all. And no doubt in this place, that deep longing swelled up within him to know Jesus more because so much else had been stripped away. And yes, we know Paul knew Jesus because hadn't he met the risen Jesus that Jen spoke about earlier out there on the Damascus Road? Hadn't he heard the very voice of Jesus? Hadn't he been blinded by the light of the risen Lord and fallen to his knees? But that was a moment and once that moment was over, that Jesus was gone. And Paul had to rely on other people. He had to rely on people to lead him because he'd been blinded by the light. He had to rely on a man called Ananias for the laying on of hands so that he could be filled with the Holy Spirit and have his sight restored. He didn't receive the Holy Spirit there on the Damascus Road, but three days later when Ananias laid hands on him. Have you received the Holy Spirit? If not, go and ask Nigel and Lynn to pray for you at the end of this service. And once, he had, once Paul had received that Holy Spirit, within a few days he was up, he was preaching that Jesus is the Son of God with all the passion that had previously been invested in relentlessly persecuting those who professed their faith in him. Because now he knew Jesus, and you can read the full story in Acts chapter 9. But thinking of Paul the man, it's easy to be tempted to compare ourselves with others, either positively or negatively. And I wonder if Paul was no different from us. 
it's important that when we are tempted to think in that way and, and compare ourselves with others, either thinking that perhaps we are better or more commonly that others are better than us. We shouldn't give way to that because God has got a path and a calling for each and every one of us that is personal, that is designed for us. But I have wondered sometimes, you know, how Paul felt when he stood beside Peter and James and John and people that had known the human Jesus. Because they must have known Jesus in a way that Paul was never, ever going to know him. Because they'd shared that history with Jesus. They lived, walked, eaten, slept, talked, listened, laughed and cried with Jesus for three whole years. And Peter had wept hot, bitter tears, hadn't he, when he knew he'd betrayed Jesus. But then we read in John chapter 21 that on that day when Jesus cooked Peter's breakfast on the beach and asked him three times if he loved him, then Peter knew without a doubt that he had been restored. And there was an intimacy there that we kind of relate to in human terms that Paul had never known. So his fellowship with Jesus had to be like ours has to be. It has to come from communion with Jesus. Chris touched on this in his prayers. Communion with Jesus day by day through the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. So thinking about Paul in that prison cell, it's not surprising, is it, that he talks about longing to know Jesus more, the Lord he loves and serves. And it's no surprise, is it, that he makes the link between knowing Jesus, knowing the power of his resurrection, but also sharing his sufferings. Because Paul himself had suffered much time in prison. And if we read the Acts and the Epistles together, we see that he had suffered a lot of really degrading treatment. But by God's grace, he was able to count it a privilege to be fully identified with his saviour. And we can so easily kick against the things that life throws at us or people throw at us. And, and yet we have to be like Paul, don't we? And remember that life threw everything at Jesus. Um, and he, he suffered the consequences of living a human life in a world that is fallen. And we live in a world that is fallen. Uh, but to be identified with Jesus is the thing that we should be longing for, even when it's tough. Paul, at that time, he didn't know that his life's journey was God's design for him, not just for then, but he, what he didn't know was that God's design included the writing of all these letters that form so much of the New Testament, those letters that might never have been written had Paul not been imprisoned. And those letters give us such insight into the heart of God for our lives and for the life of his church. We don't have the experience of walking day by day with Jesus the man, but we have the gospel accounts. And as we immerse ourselves in those gospels and read them over and over again, we get to know Jesus better. We get to know him as a man as well as the risen Jesus. And like Paul, we have to cultivate our intimacy through our prayers, through the stillness, as we open our hearts to him and to the Holy Spirit. And we have to be willing to 
share his sufferings, if we're to know the power of his resurrection as we live our lives in this world. And Oswald Chambers put it this way. He said, it is only through our relationship with Jesus Christ that we can understand what God is after in the way he deals with us. When it comes to suffering, it is part of our Christian culture to want to know God's purpose beforehand, don't we? In the history of the Christian church, the tendency has been to avoid being identified with the sufferings of Jesus Christ. People have sought to carry out God's orders through a shortcut of their own. God's way is always the way of suffering, of difficulty. God's way is the way of the long road home. Have you ever had trouble with these? Revolving doors. Revolving doors can present a number of hazards. I have encountered small children, push chairs also, and luggage with wheels. Overcrowding, loose clothing, and worryingly in there, it looks like um, a small animal stuck in the door, and I'm really hoping it's not. It's a, a child's soft toy that has caused everything to seize up. But all of those things, if you're in a revolving door, can pose the risk of either you getting stuck or you going round and round again and not coming out where you're intended to. The Christian life was never intended to be like a revolving door. But sometimes that's what we make it, either individually or corporately. However much we embrace the truth expressed in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that in Christ we are a new creation, there can be some things that play over and over again in our heads, things that keep us stuck, stuck in our Christian life or just going round and round in the revolving door instead of stepping out, moving forwards into new places that God has for us. Those of you who were on the church weekend will remember uh, Neil Hudson reminding us that often it's either the things we have done in the past or things others have done in the past that prevent us from going forward and embracing God's new future. Are you stuck somewhere in your Christian life? Do you keep going round and round? Is there something that you can never quite move on from? Paul doesn't speak lightly when he talks about the importance of forgetting what's behind. There were significant events in his own life that I'm sure he would have wanted to leave behind. As Saul of Tarsus, he had a privileged upbringing and a sense of entitlement that so often goes with privilege. He was a Pharisee. He was the son of a Pharisee, and he was proud of it. He was strictly obedient to the law of Moses. He was educated in Greek, Latin, and Aramaic. He was schooled in Hebrew texts and Jewish history. He was well prepared to combat the movement that had been launched by an itinerant, itinerant preacher called Jesus of Nazareth. Declared him an, a blasphemous imposter. And Paul masterminded the systematic suppression of Jesus' followers. Who knows how many atrocities were committed at Saul's instigation? 
how much blood was on his hands. Paul had to accept his Lord's forgiveness and let him wash that stain away. There may be things in our past that we deeply regret. Things we've done or said or not done or not said, perhaps never told anyone. For some of us, we embrace a gospel of forgiveness, but we find it so hard to forgive ourselves. We have to identify with Paul, forgetting what is behind in order that we may press on and go forwards. We might need somebody to pray with us so that we can lay to rest things from the past and receive that assurance deep down that we are forgiven and like Peter, we are both restored and set free to fulfil our calling in God. For other people, it might be the pain of what others have done to us or people that we love that keeps us stuck or forever going round in the revolving door. Paul knew more than most of us the pain and the indignity of ill treatment. In Philippi itself, the very place where he is writing to the Christians in this letter, he was unjustly stripped naked. He was flogged until the flesh would have been gouged out in chunks, and he was then shackled and imprisoned. These days we call that torture. His coping strategy in that jail was to sing praises to the Saviour who had suffered far worse. We may not have experienced that kind of torture. But for some people, there are events that are so traumatic that they never leave the human psyche. In the silence of night under arrest in Rome, I guess Paul would have relived some of those experiences and wondered what else lay before him. No wonder he speaks of the need to forget what is behind and press on. And for those of us who have been perhaps deeply wounded by other people, forgiveness isn't easy and it's not cheap. I don't believe any of us have the right to force another person to forgive. We haven't been through what they have suffered. But we should pray for one another that through the work of the Holy Spirit, we may all find the release that comes from letting go and forgiving past hurts. That doesn't mean we have to trust the people who've hurt us again. And forgiveness doesn't come at the expense of justice. God is a God of justice. And there are times when it is right to assert our rights to see that justice is done. But when forgiveness is Holy Spirit inspired, it does bring release, it brings healing to us as individuals, and it brings healing and wholeness to the body of Christ. And I believe there may be past hurts here that need to be forgiven and left behind so that this church can really move forwards and flourish under the ministry of the new rector.
Living right by the canal system, we do a lot of walking, but it's all on the flat. Doesn't really raise the heart rate a lot. I'm quite conscious that where we are going, even everyday walking is going to be a little bit more strenuous and we seriously need to press on and get ourselves fit. You know, it's so easy for our Christian life to slip into something like a canal sidewalk. So nice to be outdoors, but not that much of a challenge. Pressing on to a more adventurous, rigorous walk with Jesus may require some determination, some rigorous exercise spiritually, a change of mindset, maybe a change of lifestyle. That's part of longing to know Christ more, of leaving the past behind, of being determined to discover what the new life ahead, the new road ahead is going to look like in order to experience all God's potential riches, both in this life and in the life to come, which Paul speaks about at the end of this passage, you know, pressing on for the prize at the end when he meets with Jesus. Last Sunday, we visited the church where we plan to worship when we move, and we had a wonderful welcome. And as we came out, I got a text from Jen about the appointment of the new rector, which was great. But it, it made me think, you know, we're no longer part of the future here. And it was a reminder to us, uh, to all of us, that in our, all our lives, there are times and there are seasons. There are times when God plants us and times when he roots us out. There are times when he calls us to labor intensely in the church and times when he calls us aside to do something else, something new. And we mustn't be afraid to embrace the opportunity for change. Our physical location, each one of us, may change as God sets us in different situations for different seasons. What is important is not where we are, where we're called to be, but that we keep pressing on, pressing on toward the goal, the prize. Those of you who remember when Richard Cornfield was rector, well, no, he challenged the church about going deeper. Many of you will recall Tim challenging us some time ago that there was a sense that as a church, we, APC, were on the threshold of something new, and Tim asked us why we hadn't crossed over that threshold. Both those images speak of the need to press on. Reading from verse 12, it was clear that the Apostle Paul himself also knew that he needed to go deeper. He needed to cross another threshold. He had not yet arrived at his goal. And he speaks about straining toward what is ahead. Early last year, there was a day of prayer. And John Coyne asked people to write letters, imagining they were writing five years further down the road to a friend who had moved away from Aldridge. This week, as I was tidying up my inbox, I found some of those letters. I'm going to read a couple of excerpts to you. So these are not my words. They come from somewhere out there. I've no idea who wrote them, but I think they express what pressing on together could mean for this church. So this is the first one. Remember, this is somebody imagining five years ahead. It's a bit different than you might remember. We took time out to discover something 
we didn't know we'd lost, a treasure we had buried under layers of well-intentional doing. We had lost sight of the one thing that mattered, so we stopped doing and started waiting, listening to God's direction as he drew us a map to follow. Like going on a treasure hunt, we all sought out God together with one goal. And in doing so, we found a whole new level of community and family that became contagious. And the second one. It doesn't seem five minutes since you moved away, yet in the life of APC, it is light years as I look at all that has happened in the life of our church here in Aldridge. It began slowly at first, with a growing feeling at a prayer event that gathered momentum, a sense of the urgent need to pray, to repent, and to listen to God. From being monthly, the prayer event moved to weekly. From a gathering of 50 or so, it is now several hundred. What a vision. One by one, people were convicted of their sins, wept in repentance, and were filled with the overflowing joy as we realised the wonder of God's forgiveness. The ongoing result of that has been to see, lived out, by this love you have for one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples. I'll try and explain how that showed itself. Firstly, it was the way that gossip seemed to disappear. A real agape love was revealed. Old grudges were swept away in the power of it. And I like this bit. Practically, volunteers to help with all areas of church life, from cleaning to preaching, were no longer hard to come by. Wouldn't it be wonderful if what's expressed there comes to pass? You know, as John and I get ready to move away from Aldridge, we experience a mixture of a bit of sadness, but also some excitement and hope. Sadness at leaving many friends who have walked with us on our journey here for 18 years and who have a special place in our hearts. And we trust those relationships and friendships will continue. But there's also excitement because we're looking to a new future with God and we know that you're looking to a new future with God too. However, it is said a leader is only as strong as the weakest member of the team. The strength of your new rector depends on you to leave the past behind and press on to win the prize. And finally, hope. Hope that we and all of you will know Christ more in the days ahead. We'll leave the past behind and we'll pr press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. And we will look forward to the letters we will receive from you in five years' time or less, describing everything that has happened here in the life of APC, or better still, come and see us and tell us face to face. Let's pray.